yeah, if you are um, wanting to connect with us in a deeper level, so maybe um, you want to find out a bit more about the church, or you need some prayer, or you want to be involved, there's some uh, cards in the back corner over by the offering box. You're welcome to fill those out, put them in. We'd love your details and love to connect with you. And I'm going to invite myself up here <laughs> to... Give you a message this morning. So um, that was a good segue. I'm happy with that one. Anyway, um, uh, you may recall that uh, Dana and I and the kids, we lived in Palmerston North for a few years, but when we shifted back to Alexandria about seven years ago, um, we were driving down Central, uh, we were driving down Centennial Ave, and we came up to the roundabouts just outside of St Enoch's, right on the corner there, and there were two cars in front of us. And William was quite small, he was in the back seat, and he said, Oh no, Dad, we're stuck in a traffic jam. <laughs> and, and I thought about it for a while, and I sort of thought, you know, two cars in Alexandra, that pretty much is a traffic jam. Um, because we're used to traffic flowing very freely, we have minimal intersections with minimal congestion, and that's... Probably, probably how we like it, and when we go to the cities, it's a little bit full on, but that is not how many major uh, roads and, and big intersections in the world operate. In fact, there's some cities around the world that just, just have taken things to the next level, and they have some crazy, crazy intersections. So I'm going to show you some. This is in America, and in America, they build things big, really, really big, and it's very hard to get a sense of the scale. Um, so let me just tell you, there are 16 lanes running east to west and 12 lanes running north to south. And this is what it looks like at the ground level. Like That is a scary big intersection. You just sort of get a sense of okay, how many cars are coming towards you. This is also uh, in America. This is in Los Angeles. This is called, um, it's, a really, it's a mouthful of a name, the Judge Harry Pringerson Intersection. And if you're wondering who Judge Harry Pringerson was, he was, he was the judge who presided over the lawsuit and the construction of this uh, monstrosity. So I guess that was his, his um, yeah, crowd. It does look a little bit like spaghetti. So four levels, uh, and um, it ranges over 12 stories high. And it's really hard to tell by that picture, but that is a really monster of an intersection. The Spaghetti Junction, the original Spaghetti Junction, was actually in Birmingham in the UK. So built way back in 1972. Seven stories over five levels. So not as high as the LA one, but still pretty high. 18 different exits. And because of the very confusing layouts and the very dull colour, it's become a famous eyesore in that part of the UK. In fact, <clears throat> according to the Guinness Book of Records, it holds the record for being the most complex intersection in the British roads, which I didn't know there was a record for, but there, there is. Some of you may have been here. In France, Paris, the Arc de Triomphe. Now, this is an intersection, you know, leave it up to the French, but 12 roads converging. So there's a lot happening here, and it is, this is, I think this picture is perhaps taken very early in the morning because it's quite calm. This is what it normally looks like at each of those roads, and um, they're just kind of honking and, you know, waving and saying lovely French words to each other. So um, I don't know, that's what they do. The British have also um, kind of lend, turned their hand towards a roundabout. So this is known as the magic roundabout. Now I have to explain it. 
and I hope I get it right, but traffic comes in from five different directions, and there are five outer roundabouts and one central roundabout. Okay, so six in total, five on the outside, one in the middle. The outer roundabouts run clockwise, and the inner roundabout runs counterclockwise. Okay, and apparently it works, um, but it is rated as the fourth scariest intersection in the UK. So if you want to go and see one of the tourist hotspots, that's it. But perhaps the most scariest intersection that I've come across is this one. This is in Ethiopia. There are 16 lanes, no markings, no lights, no control. Look at the people. They're just making their way across. It is absolutely nuts. It's like every man, woman, child, driver, bus driver, whoever, for themselves. And it just goes, and they get stuck, and it is just, it is just a crazy, crazy intersection. This is what we're used to. Yeah, like some of you are sort of, yeah, well, that's, that's what it's like midday downtown, you know. Uh, no lights at our roundabouts, intersections. In fact, we've only got two roundabouts and only a handful of intersections in little old Alexandra here in central Otago. But it doesn't matter whether you are in a major city around the world or whether you are in a small rural town. Every place has intersections. And you probably know this, but I'll just kind of state the obvious. An intersection is a point where two or more roads intersect. That's why it's called an intersection, where paths converge, where streets cross, where motorways connect. And every town, actually, when you think about it, every town, every city is really just a series of intersections, one after another after another as you make your way through. But if you've ever looked closely at an intersection, you'll know that there's far more than just cars passing through. There is also a lot of different people uh, going to different places. They have uh, travelling for different purposes. They're heading in different directions. And so it's quite a fascinating kind of, if you've got spare 10 minutes, to sit and watch uh, life go by at an intersection. But I wonder if, the whole concept of an intersection is actually a helpful metaphor for our lives. So as, as your life, my life, we could probably see it as, as a bit of a series of intersections. As we've tracked so far through our journey of life, we've come across significant intersections where, where decisions have had to be made, where things have had to be done. Maybe it's been an opportunity to head in a different Direction. Maybe it's just a chance to review our purpose or, or refresh our perspective on something. And probably if you look back on your life, you'd see those intersections, those significant moments, those significant decisions, probably some of them you saw coming. Some of them you kind of anticipated, you're tracking down the road of life and you can see there's going to be some intersections ahead, like you know, you're going to graduate from high school or, or university or something, or maybe it was that big intersection you're looking forward to was buying your first car or, or, or starting a job or, or buying a house. You know, those big things that you can kind of anticipate. Getting married, maybe having a child, maybe moving house, moving town, maybe even moving a country, maybe retirement's just on the horizon, that intersection just up ahead. They are, they're big intersections and you can see them coming and you know that after that intersection, things are going to change. But there's other intersections in life which just 
catch us off guard. You know, something happens and you're just totally surprised, maybe even shocked. There's no warning lights. There's no signs. They just sort of sneak up on you. Maybe it's that redundancy email. Maybe it's a friend who just ghosts you. Maybe it's when your spouse files for divorce or it's a callback from the doctor. Maybe your retirement savings just totally evaporate. Maybe it's the sudden and sad loss of a friend or a family member. You know, those are crises moments. They are circumstances, they are crossroads where, where difficult decisions need to be made, where things are going to change, things are never going to be the same. And what's interesting is, as I read through the Bible, I see there is a lot of intersections in people's lives that are recorded in those pages. In fact, those intersections that are recorded in the Bible are opportunities, supernatural opportunities for people to meet Jesus, for people to know Jesus in a different way. And and what I find fascinating is that as you read the biographies of Jesus, he just has this knack. He's got this ability to just meet people right at their intersections, at these crisis moments that they're facing. And when they're at the crossroads, Jesus just knows how and when and where to meet people. He's kind of like the right time and the right place type of guy. But he's, he's more than that. He's actually the type of guy who knows the right thing to say. So take, for example, uh, Nicodemus. You might have heard of him. His story is recorded in John chapter 3. He was a prominent leader uh, among the Jewish elites. Uh, but despite his prestige, he was asking some big questions of life. And when he met Jesus, Jesus gave Nicodemus answers to the questions that he was asking before he'd even asked. Or maybe Martha, her story recorded in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is staying at her family home, Martha's kind of hustle and bustle and and kind of sorting out the whole everyday life, and Jesus just says, hey, this is time to slow down, to refocus on what's really important. Or there's a a nameless lawyer, his story's recorded in Matthew chapter 22 and Luke 10, he tries to trick Jesus with a really curly question, but Jesus dodges the trap in, and cuts to the core of what it means to be a Christian. He says to love God and to love others. And there's a whole bunch of other examples. Peter, Matthew, Roman centurion, the Syrophoenician woman, a leper, a blind man, the rich young ruler, the paralytic, Zacchaeus, the condemned woman, and a whole bunch more. They are real people with with real problems who meet Jesus at the, the intersection of life, and the result is they are forever changed. Well, this morning I want to introduce you to a person who met Jesus at a pivotal intersection moment in her life, and her story is recorded in John chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you're welcome to open it or swipe to there. We're going to read through the story, but just let me set the scene while you're doing that. Jesus and his companions, they are traveling through the hot, dusty lands of ancient Israel, and they come to a village And so they stop at this well on the outskirts of the village. And Jesus follows. They go into the village to try and find some food. And so Jesus is waiting at this well. And this is where he meets a Samaritan woman. And there's really only a few details that we know about her. We know her gender and her ethnicity. She is a woman from Samaria. We know about her relational history. She's had five husbands and she's lining up her sixth. 
We know that it's likely she's also ostracized by the women from her village. It's highly likely she's an outsider because of the relational reputation that she has with all those men. So it's not much, really, but crucially, we also discover in the story that she is searching for satisfaction, that she is craving contentment. So we read in the story that Jesus sparks a conversation with her. It's a hot day, and he, he asks her for a drink. And the woman is really surprised. Uh, in that culture at that time, a man was not supposed to speak with a woman in public who was not uh, a relative. And on top of that, overlaid on that whole kind of cultural tradition, there's this huge ethnic tension between Jews and Samaritans. And it's got a lot of long, complicated history, but there's basically been bad blood in the past. And Jews and Samaritans do everything they can to avoid each other. But Jesus doesn't let tradition or tension hold him back. So he asks this woman for a drink. And she rebuffs his request. She thinks it's strange given the whole cultural expectations. She says this, The woman was surprised... For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus' response is just really, really curious. This is what he goes to. If you only knew, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, understandably, I think the woman is quite confused. She doesn't realize that Jesus has just jumped from the everyday to the eternal. And Jesus has moved on. He's no longer wanting physical water to quench his physical thirst. As he's met this woman at this intersection, he sees she has a deep spiritual need. She is searching for satisfaction in her soul. And so Jesus tries to help this woman see that connect, to recognize this deep need. He goes on and says, anyone who drinks this water from the well will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman's like, wow, this sounds good. You know, no more having to carry water for hours a day in these big jugs. But Jesus sees that she's still missing the point. She's still thinking it's the physical water. And so Jesus tries to help her understand her deeper need. And to do that, he gets personal. He asks her to go and get her husband. To which the woman replies, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. I probably just need to point out here that this was before Facebook stalking became a thing. <laughs> so Jesus has not done a quick search. He hasn't scrolled through her photo roll. He just has supernatural insight. And at this moment, the woman recognizes that things have just gone to a whole new level. She has been confronted by grace and truth. And the woman starts to see that Jesus is offering her living 
water. It is a refreshing and a renewing way to live. What Jesus is doing is just very gently calling her to have an honest look, to think about where she is at and and what she is striving for. And it's clear that her journey of life has really been one intersection after another. Each time she has been looking to a man for satisfaction. I mean, she's had five different major intersections, five different husbands, and now she's living with the guy, and none of that has quenched her deep thirst. And so when this woman meets Jesus, her life is, is totally transformed. She's, she's blown away. She rec- records in the rest of the story that he knows everything about her. And she believes that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the saviour of the world. So she runs back to the village, and many people also believe in Jesus. You know, at that intersection, that woman discovers hope and healing. And when she met Jesus, she was desperate, she was discouraged, and, and possibly even assumed that Jesus would not want to have anything to do with her. Certainly not given the road that she's been on, certainly not with the reputation that she has. But Jesus, he wasn't concerned about her past. He was hopeful for her future. And on that day, beside that well, outside that village, that woman met Jesus and she tasted living water. She was refreshed and renewed and revived and restored. And her life was never the same again. Perhaps you can relate to that Samaritan woman. Now, I'm not saying that you've had five husbands and you're looking for your sixth, but, you know, a bigger picture here. Perhaps you are also at an intersection in your life. Maybe there's a a dilemma, a decision, a difficulty, and you're just really not sure about which direction to go. You're going to go left, and you go right. You're going to go straight ahead. But whichever you choose, you know that things are going to be different. Well, friends, can I remind you that Jesus is at that intersection with you. And in the midst of that moment, Jesus offers you his wisdom and his strength. He offers you his grace and his truth. He is willing to speak into your circumstances to calm your crisis. He is wanting to give you clarity in your confusion and and a new perspective on your problems if you would invite him in and if you would listen. Maybe, Maybe right now you're not at an intersection. You are just driving down the road of life and things are sweet You've punched in cruise control and it's just ticking along. But if you're not at an intersection, chances are there is someone that you know who is. Maybe they've stalled at a crossroads. Maybe something's happened. Maybe they anticipated it. They could see it coming. Maybe it was unexpected and it just came totally out of the blue. But they are at an intersection and they are unsure about which way to go. This is your opportunity as a a family member, as a friend, as simply someone who cares, to stand with them in that intersection, in the midst of their struggles and their stresses and their strains. And maybe even gently and graciously to introduce Jesus into that situation, to share some of the living water that Jesus has poured into your life to revive you, to refresh you, to renew you, to maybe share with others.
I think um, this morning, if I could just suggest one thing for us to do, it would just be to, to pause and to quietly think for a moment uh, on one of those two situations. If you are at an intersection, this is an opportunity for you to invite Jesus in this morning, to listen to his call, to seek his guidance, to ask for his wisdom and strength, to maybe even have an open and honest look at your situation. And so as I give you a moment this morning, I encourage you to pray for one thing that you can do this week that will get you moving in the right direction. And if you're not at an intersection, then maybe this is a chance for you to think about someone you know who is. Ask God for his insight, his, his wisdom, to recognize where people truly are at and to, to how you can help them with what they need. So if that's you, you can pray this, this morning for one thing that you can do to help that person move in the right direction. So I'm just going to give you... 30 seconds just for a quick moment to, to kind of pause and quietly think. For being at those intersections of life with us. Whether we realise it or not, you are always tracking alongside us and we're grateful for that living water that you pour into our lives. We ask that uh, if anyone's listening and they are in the midst of an intersection, that they would trust you, that you would graciously and generously pour out your hope and healing just like you did for that woman at the well. We also ask that if, you know, if we're not at an intersection that we recognise those around us who are and that we can pull up alongside them. We can just be there at the right time, right place, have the right words to say, to share your hope and healing and point people to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining with us this morning. I uh, really pray that's been encouraging for you. Um, we've got a prayer team over here in the corner, uh, on the couch in the corner, if you'd love to chat further with someone or talk to someone with a blue tag. We're keeping things simple this morning, so we're not going to have a cup of tea or coffee, but we'll probably be pulling that back um, in the next week or two. But uh, feel free to stick around, have a chat, have a catch-up, take someone out for coffee if you want to do that. But have a great week. God bless you heaps, and look forward to seeing you again.